open the word to the book of Philippians. What happened to you anyway? Anybody ever tell you that? What happened to you? Everybody have everybody look at you when you come home and go, what happened to you? That's a pretty good question, really. What has happened to you? What have you been through? What are you going through right now? We'll, we'll get some help on that from this simple text today in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. That's the chunk that we're looking at. What we're doing in this series called Turning the Bethel Wheel is we're going through a letter that was written to a Jesus group, a really classical Jesus group, a really good Jesus group, the Philippian church. And we're going through that, and we're cherry-picking insights and inspiration that will help us follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus. That's what we're up to here. I'd like to pray again before we proceed. So join with me, will you, as we ask the Lord for his help right now. Lord, it's a beautiful sight to see folks over in the cars and worshiping with us, people working in the parking lot, children in the tent, and the little cluster of people here. And to hear these songs of the faith, we come before you as a very needy people today. Without your help, we would be without hope and undone. But we know we are not without your help. And so we pray today as we look into your word, as you've instructed us to do, that from your word you would bring encouragement to our souls, instruction to our souls, insights to our souls, inspiration to our souls. I pray for any who are here who's, who are struggling with doubts, as so many of us often do. I pray that you will help them to have their faith strengthened. I pray for those who are going through things that today, as we study the life of a man who really did go through some hard things, that we would find help. And Lord, we're uh, just grateful, so grateful to be here. Thank you for the beautiful day. Thank you for the cool breeze that's blowing. It's a special gift we know. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I was speaking at the Springs camp this week, and one of the things that's really fun about speaking at the Springs camp or any camp is uh, the conversations that you have with people in between. Oh, and by the way, I was not taking a week off. I was ministering to two of our own Bethel campers, you see. So I was working very hard. It was a hard week, week of work. Lexi was up there. Lexi, good. Charity, good. And I think they're doing, can I say, good. They look like they really are enjoying themselves. They're with people who love them. They're having a good, they were having a good time. And uh, so it was, a, it was a, a blessing to preach to that group. And it was especially neat. They were surprised that I was the speaker, but they weren't unhappy. So that was good. Anyway, I was at the camp. And uh, in, in between, I was talking to a man who who's, uh, lives in Ohio. And he's a deacon in his church. And knowing that I was a pastor, he said, you know, we deacon their church. The deacons were a decision-making body there is, and, and, the, and the key decision-making body. And he said, we in our church have to decide about whether we're going to start up the evening service again, you know, when we can. And we're not sure. And most of us kind of feel like maybe we won't. But he said, you know, what really bothers me is, you know, I don't want the church to decline I don't want to take a step backward by, by go moving away from the evening service or moving away from the midweek service or moving on. He said, what do you think about that? You know, and I said to him, you know, um, 
the, there's an old approach, there's an older approach, a, a classical approach. I grew up with it. Most of you did. It wasn't bad. It was good. Kind of a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That was the program. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. The Green Beret would be Sunday school, Sunday morning, maybe the youth meeting before Sunday night and Sunday night or the youth meeting after Sunday night and Sunday night and Wednesday. And it might even have included Tuesday night calling or Saturday bus visitation it might even if you're really you you might not have gotten more than more than a couple of days off that was the program it wasn't all bad um and and yet some churches ours is one have moved to a different model here's what i told the brother i said don't abandon your old model don't abandon your old model without a new model that you are that you that your leaders have agreed is the way you, got, you are going to obey the command from Jesus to go into all the world and make disciples. Have a plan. And are the Bethel elders, we've come up with a plan that we like to symbolize with our Bethel wheel. And that's why this series is called Turning the Bethel Wheel, because it's kind of like looking into Philippians, which is a Jesus movement cluster of Jesus people, like we want to be. And what did they do to obey this great commission or you know in their case turn the philippian wheel we'll turn the bethel wheel and the, and the reason we say that is and we, we i tried to get this online and failed this morning so i will get it online for you to see again but the bethel wheel is just a symbol that describes the the pro, the the plan that we have to, to help people follow jesus and to help them help other people follow jesus and it's beautiful when the, and, and we like to say, let, what, let's do what we do to keep turning the Bethel wheel. And what we mean by that is anytime, any, so, so the Great Commission was given by Jesus. He said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe my commandments, keep my commandments, and I'm with you till the end of the earth. So whenever a follower of Jesus who is saved, filled the Holy Spirit, is obeying one of the commands of Jesus or some of the commands of Jesus, then what's happening? Well, we say the Bethel wheel is turning. We want to obey the commands of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and walk in his footsteps. And we want to help other people do that. And it's just that simple. For the glory of God, we want to be disciples who make disciples. We want to help people follow Jesus. We want our kids to follow Jesus. We want our neighbors to follow Jesus. We want people to come to the end of their life and know where they're going when their life ends. There are herds in this world that no political party can heal. There are herds in this world, did you hear me? That no political party can come close to healing. There are herds in this world that no presidential candidate can ever heal. There are herds in this world that only Jesus can heal. And we know the Jesus story, and so we want to get the hope of Jesus to people who need what only Jesus can do. That's what we're talking about. As a church, we don't just want to do a bunch of nice things. We want to focus what we do to see that we're making, that we're disciples who are making disciples. I'm going to give you a little bit further example. Early on, when we first met, the elders of the church asked me for leadership on this, and immediately we agreed together on an evangelistic strategy. You've heard about it, right? We call it pray, love, invite gospel conversation p-l-i-g and the and the men started calling that plague that's a part of turning the bethel wheel if somebody's going to be a disciple they've got to be a follower of jesus first how are we going to go find followers we're going to pray for people who don't know the lord 
We're going to love them. We're going to ask God, how can I love them? We're going to engage them, maybe invite them, and we're going to engage them in gospel conversation, and we're going to encourage one another. Well, the, the, the elders decided the best way to do this was for them to do it first before they talked about it a lot. I picked the only guy that I knew that lived in Jackson that didn't know the Lord because I didn't live in Jackson yet, and it was the man I bought my house from, Charles Perlin. And the other, other men, they chose people, not just one or sometimes two or three, that they begin to focus their prayers and their love on. And just in our own simple, faltering way, all of the leaders met every Saturday morning, and we tried. We said, God, we're here to obey you in this. We're here to experience this. And we're going to pray for people who don't know the Lord. And even when we fail, we're going to tell our stories of failure so that people are encouraged. And as God gives the increase, they'll see it, and that'll be the way we lead. So that's what we've done and God has shown his favor. God has blessed that. And I'll tell you an example was, as you, as you saw, was the fellow that I began to pray for. We eventually baptized him here at Bethel Church, Charles Perlos. And I eventually did his funeral, and he went to be with the Lord. And yesterday, I was invited to go to a state that borders our state, that's south of our state, and uh, to, and to uh, perform a wedding there for Charles Perlos' daughter, Lindy, and she's married a boy named Matt, and they're Christians, and they're, they're following the Lord, and they want to have a Christian home. And when I drove away, I thought, well, down in Ohio, the Bethel wheel is turning. One of our elders came to me this week, called me, and really excited, uh, and giving me a report on the one that he's just been praying for, and cultivating, and loving, and ha- having conversations. And this brother, without betraying our confidence, this brother told him that he's moved to a new level of his faith. And so this elder that had been praying for him, I mean, when he got off the phone, I thought, the Bethel wheel is turning. When a little boy gets money from his first lawn mowing job, and he takes a portion of it, and he puts it in the offering, then the Bethel wheel is turning. When someone hears about someone who's shut in, and they're allowed to go visit, and they go and they visit and they bring a gift, the Bethel wheel is turning. When a wife forgives her husband for some injury, then the Bethel wheel is turning. Do you get this? The Bethel wheel is, it's just worth saying is when people are following Jesus in any way, and we're helping him do that, then this process is happening, and the Bethel wheel, if you will, turns. Uh, one of our elders' wives faithfully began to uh, befriend a coworker. And some of you know the story, but there's another chapter. Began to befriend a coworker, and this coworker was really spiritually needy and open and hungry and interested. And this coworker was also battling cancer. And, and this uh, elder's wife, uh, Karen Glazer, uh, had the privilege, really, of helping her get her faith rock solid so she's confident that she knows the Lord. And in, in a bonus, and I think you remember me telling you this, in a bonus, she's, she's battling this cancer, and, and right now she's winning. And you may not have known this, but she probably handed you a hot dog last Sunday. If you ate a hot dog, she was standing right there, and uh, Kathy, and she was with us. And I don't know if she's with us today, but she was with us. What, when I got that hot dog, by the, it was a brat. It was pretty good. I wanted another one, but I didn't want to be embarrassed by eating so much in front of people. But but I thought to myself, I, well, the first thing I thought was that was really tasty. But the second thing I thought was the Bethel wheel is turning. We are obeying Jesus in inviting people to Jesus and 
following Jesus and trying to help other people follow Jesus. And there are discouragements and there are setbacks and there's opposition and there are things that happen to us. Keep that in mind because now we're going to read about Paul. And while he was trying to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus, yet things happen to him. Are you ready? This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Did you catch that little phrase? The things, some, some translations say, the one I initially memorized is in, the things that have happened to me have served to advance the gospel. This is Paul's indirect reference to a sovereign God working in his providence, taking things that are evil and bringing good from them. Paul ta- teaches this explicitly in other places. But he's referring to it, he's inferring it now. I want you to know, brothers, brothers and sisters, appropriately say, to the church, right? Folks at Philippi, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And notice the next, yes, I will rejoice. In that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. I love to read stories about gospel advance from around the world. Love it. Love to watch videos of gospel advance. If I'm ever discouraged, I'll tell you a little secret. If a pastor gets discouraged, here's one of my little secrets to get myself out of that discouragement. I get somewhere where nobody can see what I'm doing and I get on my computer. And then I look up videos of people getting baptized in other churches. And I just watch baptism videos of people that want to follow Jesus. I'm like, Bethel, Lord, at Bethel, we want to follow you. We want to encourage other people to follow you. Let those, you know, so... So I'm always, my ears are always open to hear stories of gospel advance. And when I was at the Springs camp this week, I walked through the line. There was a young lady that was serving there. And she says, what time is chapel? I could tell she wasn't a camper. She's a worker because the campers would, well, they wouldn't care what time chapel was because somebody would just drag them there, you know, in between the fun they were having. But this girl says, what time is chapel? And I thought, oh, here's a worker who's like eagerly seeking out chapel that she's not required to go to that's a good sign and sure enough when i'm preaching in chapel she's back there and her bible's open and she's taking notes and the next time i preach it she's back there her bible's open and she's taking notes and then one morning i come for breakfast and we're all sitting around the table and i said so tell me your story and she begins to tell me a story that she's her parents are not christians they're far from god their lives are troubled she's been in and out of home in and out of foster care She's had a very difficult life. When she said, when I was, I said, well, how'd you come to know the Lord? She said, well, when I was really little, there was this lady that lived next door, this older lady that lived next door, and she just kind of would invite me over for cookies and show me veggie tales, and that's how I heard about Jesus. 
So and then we kind of drifted away, and then another lady came into my life, and this lady liked quilting. And she would come up to the springs because they have a quilting thing up there that ladies all get together and they quilt, talk about the things of the Lord. They do that a lot up there. And this lady who was a, a little bit older lady, did this quilting, but she met this girl and she said, I want to send you to the springs. I will, I will pay your way. And she paid that girl's way to camp. And that girl is a radiant follower of Jesus Christ. And she goes back to camp as a camper and she goes back to camp as a worker. I wept like a baby while she told me that story because that's what makes all the things that we do worth it. When you think, here's a girl who doesn't have a chance, doesn't have a mom that's waking her up with a hymn or a dad that's putting her to bed with her prayers, a mom and dad that are, that are just so lost and broken themselves that they're in trouble themselves. But God reaches in and somebody makes some gospel efforts and pays her way to camp and people make the camp work. And this girl then is a Christ follower who's eagerly learning about the things of the Lord. So these stories of gospel advance are rich and the richest of them you will ever read are the ones that are embedded in the book of Acts and in the epistles. And so this is one. Sometimes you will hear people, you frequently, maybe you've done it yourself. You'll hear people when they're going through, something is happening to them, like Paul said, the things that have happened to me. They have things, we all have things happen to us that we were never, were hoping would never happen to us. Or maybe we never conceived of them happening to us or the people that we love. Or maybe we always feared they would happen to us. Or maybe when they happen, we feel deeply embittered. Or maybe they happened at the hands of people that we were supposed to really love. This is just the way it works in a broken, hurting, fallen world, even for Christians. And we have things happen to us. And you will notice that in the, in the popular culture, among the common man, in the songs that, that you would hear on the radio, there is this kind of wistful hopefulness that people will often express, and they will say something like this, well, there, you know, there must be a reason. Or they'll say, my grandma always said there must be a reason. And it's very vague, but they are onto something. But, you know, it's very vague, and it might, even be, it might not even include any clear biblical teaching. But when you ask yourself the question, you know, is there a reason behind the things that happen to me? If you have a Bible, from cover to cover, you have a clear thread of truth that there is an overarching purpose of God through all the good and all the evil that's allowed in the earth. It's not a vague and nebulous thing for the believer. We know that that's God's providence that he orders all things because he's sovereign over all. And Paul has written about this. And Paul is, that's what he's expressing here when he says, I want you to know and you understand the thing that has happened to him is he's falsely accused like a criminal. He's in prison and he's eventually going to be executed. And so when he says the things that happened to me, he's an innocent man who's chained to guards and eventually he's going to die. And he says, I'm rejoicing in this because I know the things that have happened to me are going to further God's purposes. He says it specifically for the advance of the gospel. He's kind of a military term. That the, the gospel is going to move forward, so I'm rejoicing in this. Now, there's a hopeful thing in that because I've said to you all before, and I, and I know that you have not forgotten this, that I've given you six questions to, questions to ask 
when something bad happens to you. These are in your notes again today. I repeated them. I'll repeat them over again. I would, I'd like everybody who sits under the ministry that the Lord has allowed me to have for this time, I would like everybody to have this just like second nature to them. Something bad happened to me. What good is God doing? Something bad happened to me. How is this making me like Jesus? Something bad happened to me. Who can I help with what I'm learning? Something bad happened to me. How can I glorify with this? Something bad happened to me. How does God want me to think about this? Something bad happened to me. How does God want me to talk about this? Those six things should fill the little journal of your heart or your actual paper journal as you travel through something bad happening to you. But now we can add number seven. And that is kind of a corollary to how can I glorify God in this? But Paul, how can this bad thing, how can this advance the gospel? How can this advance the work of Jesus in the world? How can this help turn the Bethel wheel here in our church? That's what I would say. And so I want to show you these three things in, in these few verses and, and the reasons to keep rejoicing. Number one, keep rejoicing. Well, that's where Paul ends, right? After he says all that he says, he's saying three things. I'll, let me give you the quick flyover. He's saying, the Roman government is against me and they're chained and they've, they've captured me and they're holding me prisoner and they're falsely accusing me and eventually they're going to execute me. That's one. Second thing he says, I do have brothers that are supporting me, brothers and sisters that are helping me. Third thing he says, and I have religious rivals trying to make my life miserable. So there are Christians or non-Christian religious people who aren't perfect that are irritating him. I mean, that never happens to us, but it, but it happened to Paul. We're never a part of that, but, but Paul, Paul was. So those are the three things. And when he gets to the end of that, he says, the conclusion is in verse 18. Well, only in every way, whether in pretense or truth, that Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice and I will rejoice. If in whatever is happening to me, Christ is proclaimed, there's a reason to rejoice. If God is allowing you to suffer, if he's allowing a loved one to suffer, proclaiming Christ is a reason to hang on to hope. And making Christ known is a reason to hang on to hope. And perhaps he's asking for us to show faithfulness in this trial so that others who pass through the same kind of trial will see that God is faithful and they can trust him and they can build their lives on his promises. Paul's doing this, doing it beautifully. So let me show you these three things. One, keep rejoicing. Three reasons to keep rejoicing. Keep rejoicing. Even powerful systems and evil people cannot stop the advance of the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He is, they say that he, you know, you've heard this, that he was being, that he was chained to guards and so they're rotating and he's witnessing and he's leading them to the Lord. And, and so he sees the, even though he's imprisoned, he sees the gospel advancing and he's pointing to the system that has him unjustly incarcerated is being infiltrated by the gospel. Now, be encouraged. Whatever is going on in your life, there is this kingdom thing that's sweeping like a tidal wave through God's earth. Though right now you may not see it, it's going to encompass everything one day. And no government or no false idea or no false philosophy or no false teacher will be able to withstand the force of the kingdom of God. So be encouraged. Rejoice because there's a kingdom and it is coming inevitably and Jesus is the king and he will take over everything someday and you want to be on his side. If you're a believer, you are on his side. You're destined for victory. That's why Paul said, 
well, I'm chained to the guard here, but you know, the gospel's going forward. So interesting. When the pandemic hit, it would be really easy to be pessimistic. And the stuff that's attendant to the pandemic and all the other stuff that's going on, it'd be so easy to be pessimistic. And you hear this some from good people that love the Lord. Oh, are the people going to ever come back to church? Oh, are we ever going to, what's it going to look like? And whatever. And there's like, woe is me and wring my hands. But the Pauline way was not like, he wasn't going, well, I guess, you know, I was. You know, he said his prayer letter wasn't like, well, I was, you know, doing this, but now that I'm chained to a guard, obviously, I'm not doing anything. And, and so, you know, pray for me because uh, the work came to a stop. That's not Paul, what Paul wrote. Paul's like, I'm rejoicing because I see the gospel's advancing because I'm here in jail and I'm still doing the work. Witnessing. They're, they're giving me three squares a day. And I'm, well, I don't know if he ate three meals a day. And I'm witnessing to the people that they're bringing. And they're leading other people to the Lord. And there are Jesus clusters starting here among those who are incarcerated. So I'm rejoicing because the kingdom is the kingdom. Because of the gospel, the advance of the gospel. And I would, I would want to thank you. I want to encourage every one of you that's participated in like pr- church on the roof seemed like such a bizarre circus of a crazy idea, yet God blessed it, and we got to assemble, and people got to hear the gospel, and we got to help other people get, hear the gospel and start, and now we've transitioned to this outdoor service. You've, you, you've had a great spirit about being flexible about that. Appreciate that, because that's the spirit that Paul had. It wasn't like, oh, we got to stop now. There's a pandemic. It's like, oh, there's a pandemic in God's plan. God must be using this to advance the gospel. Everyone's thinking about death. We have the answer for that. Everyone's thinking about economic decline. We have the answer for that. And, and so believers, and can I say this with, look at me, I'm smiling. I'm putting on my nicest, happiest face. And that is, can we remember that though we may agree or disagree about all the protocols through the pandemic and all of that, we are going to disagree. I mean, you know, if you're married, you know you can love somebody that you don't agree with all the time. Am I right? Of course I'm right. I'm the pastor. Pastors are always right. Um, just kidding. But, but yes, you know that to be true. You can love somebody that you have some disagreement with. Let's remember that. We can, the big thing is let's advance the gospel. Let's make Jesus known. Let's take this difficult time and see to it that it's a time when people came to know the Lord and people came to grow in the Lord. Okay, so that's, that's one reason to rejoice is because even powerful government systems and evil people, and even if there was a, a dark conspiracy, it cannot conspire to defeat the kingdom of the living God. And then, number two, keep rejoicing because God will always send brothers and sisters to stand with you in gospel advance i know this because the bible says it and i know this from personal experience i have a keen sense of all the things i'm not good at you hear me say this a lot right i'm not good at plumbing that's so that you won't ever bother me if you have a plumbing problem you know hey i'm not good at that you know i don't have a pickup pickup truck can't help you there i'm not good at electric i'm I'm i will hurt myself you i'm not good at math um, I feel like I'm an encourager. I'm kind of like a cheerleader for Jesus. And sometimes I go to the Lord, I go, God, you know, all these other men and women, they're so gifted and they can do things that really matter. And here I am going rah, rah for Jesus. And he's like, well, you, you, you are right. Your, your gifts are very thin, but use them because you will inspire electricians and you will expi- inspire plumbers and you will inspire uh, architects and you will, in, and you will, you will stir up uh, the heart of a, of a mother who will 
take heart, to raise up those children to follow the Lord when she might have felt defeated. And women that are spinning all those plates and working out and working in and then helping in the church when they're not working out and, and they're working. And you, you can inspire them. You can keep fueling their faith. So I got to know that God is going to bring other people to do the things that I know I could never do. I don't have the gifts, don't even have the character to do all of that. Paul knew this, and listen to the way he talks about it. Verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word. I guess this is how it worked. They saw that he was willing to suffer his faith, and they're looking at each other going, my goodness, Paul's in prison, and here we are, we're, we're not in prison. I mean, if he can be bold in prison, we ought to be able to be bold. And he saw that it was emboldening them, and that they were also ministering in love. And this is what I've noticed God will send his people. This week at camp, there was an elderly man that I heard was going to come later in the week, and, I, and he used to be a deacon at a church I pastored. His name was Jim Cones. And Jim is one of those salt-of-the-earth guys that you could just take a guy like that, two or three guys like that, charge hell with a squirt gun. Loves the Lord, humble, prayerful, a good husband, a good dad, a, a man of the word, a thoughtful deacon, an encouragement of the pastor. I love this man. There was a time when I was ready to quit that church, and I, and I literally wrote out my resignation, and I pushed it across the desk. And I remember Jim Cones reaching over and taking a hold of my, re, my resignation letter, and without even looking at anybody else, he just looked me right in the eye, and he pushed it right back, and he said, we're not going to take this right now. You stay with us. Let's work through this problem. I told him this week, can I just tell you thank you for doing that? I am so grateful to you. I don't know what would happen to me if the men had received that. I'd want off in defeat. Uh, and there were other times and other occasions, like the time then he was working with us and one of the associate pastors, an older man, had needed a new roof on his garage. And I had the great idea that we would tear off his roof and put a new one on it. But I'm, remember what I told you, I'm not an organizer. I'm definitely not a roofer. But I had this great idea that I would have all the teens rip the roof off. Now I have all the skilled guys put the roof back on. And that worked out great. We had two teams of teens. I figured the teens didn't want to work all day. I had them work an hour, this group work an hour, this group work an hour. And we had a big dumpster. I got pictures of this. The teens came and just tore that roof completely off until there wasn't a shingle on any of that. And then right about that time, out of nowhere, this huge cloud formed and rain just poured on Pastor Appen's house. And then somebody looked at me because I was organizing a project and said, where are the tarps? And I'm like, oh, we don't have tarps. And we were scrambling around town and we saved his house, but we lost his garage. The garage was finished. And the drywall was ruined. And so, oh, did I mention I don't do drywall? I don't do drywall either. And, and so the men of the church had to come over after they finished the roof. And they had to help, you know, to drywall the house. But what is amazing is, and Mr. Combs was a part of that. When I talked to him this week, and we just thanked one another for our fellowship in the gospel. And I thanked him. He was there on that deaconate when they voted to make sure that little Hope could be born in a hospital so that she would have the very best care. He was on that deaconate when the deacons decided whether they are going to pay my way through grad school. And he was a yes vote when he helped pay my way through grad school. I just said to him, Mr. Collins, I just admire you, I love you, and I'm grateful for you, and I want you to know it. And I will just tell you this. You may be discouraged with what you're going through, 
But God will send just the right person at just the right time. You watch him. That's how he works. He'll send just the right person at just the right time that can do just the thing that you need, and you will know that's how God works. He, he generally doesn't work in, in, in fantastic miracles. He usually works in simple acts of kindness done by people who are gifted. There was another man there, an elderly man, and I, I sat down for a meal. You don't mind if I tell you a couple of camp stories, right? That's the way it works. So I sit down for a meal, and they bring us these carrots and peas. And, and I thought about my mother. I thought my mother would really be happy if I ate carrots and peas. So I was eating, and the peas were really good. They were like the snow crop, you know, fresh garden peas. They were they're real uh, cold and had a snap to them. They're just very, very good. And I said, wow, these peas are good. And the guy sitting next to me goes, eat them up, because we got so many of those peas, we're not going to be able to give them away this week. And I said, why? He goes, you know that guy, he named him, but I forgot his name. There's an elderly man that, and, and I talked to him, and he said this. He said, when I was a boy, he said, I, I had a really poor family. And he said, you just, if anything cost money, we couldn't do it. He said, and I had a girlfriend, and he said, I really loved spending time with her. And he said, then summer camp came along, and somebody, and my girlfriend said she's going to camp because she had the money, but... I couldn't go to camp because I didn't have the money. And I made up my mind. When I grow up, I'm going to make sure that kids can go to camp if they want to. And he says, so my goal in life is to go around and find bargains for the camp so they can keep the price down so anybody who wants to go to camp can go to camp. And this guy was dragging in peas, like more peas than the kids could possibly eat, looking for bargains and things because he was driven by his idea that he wanted little ones to be able to hear the gospel. And God is going to send people. Don't be discouraged. Rejoice because the kingdom is more powerful than any government or any conspiracy or any political party. And rejoice because God's going to send people along. And here's another kind of interesting and odd thing that Paul says. He goes, you know, he, can I just paraphrase this? And I hope it's an accurate paraphrase. Paul is saying, you know, even among gospel preachers and missionaries, sometimes there's selfish ambition, there's rivalry, there's flesh. Have any of you noticed this to be true? I mean, you don't want to say it right now, but we've all experienced this. The people that we work with, they, they love the Lord, but they also, and we, are, we have our faults. Sometimes wrong motives come in. Sometimes selfish ambition comes in. Sometimes jealousy comes in. Sometimes rivalry comes in. And, and Paul is saying, I don't care. I still rejoice because of the gospel going out, the kingdom is moving, I'm rejoicing. Now, this is a, I'm glad this is here. Let me read it to you very carefully. He breaks it down in an interesting way. It's verses 15 and 16 and 17. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, they do it out of, out of love. The goodwill people, they do it out of love. So they're bold, goodwill, love. That's good. Knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. They're with me. They're defending the gospel. The former, the bad guys, the ones that are preaching Christ with poor motives. The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. When we were thinking about joining the Converge movement, which our church did, which kind of our fellowship of churches now, one of the pastors, a young man that I, I was at his ordination council, and he's really been using the Lord, starts from churches up by Petoskey, Norm Byers, wonderful guy. He met me over here at, at the restaurant right over here, and we had a talk about things, and I was telling him about my, my uh, ministry background, and we mentioned how the church began 
out of another church. Folks had left another church. Our church started when folks left the Gansas Street Church and came over this way. And so he said to me, when I said that, he goes, oh, I see. Your church wasn't a plant then. It was a splant. And I said, what is a splant? He goes, you know, split plant, not plant plant, but split plant. And I kind of groaned. I wasn't there. So I don't know what happened or if it was acrimonious. I do know that a few years ago, the leaders here, the elders got together and made sure that there was a covenantal oneness between our church and the Gansas Street Baptist Church. We are brothers. We love each other. We support each other. We're on the same team. We're singing the same song. We absolutely love them. They love us. We're together. But you know what? There was a time when there was a difference of opinion. So when that difference of opinion happened, what's interesting is God didn't say, until you get it together, I'm not going to bless. He just says, I'm going to bless both of those groups. And he did. And you know that's how he works. And that's heartening, right? Yeah, sometimes I make the mistake. Sometimes you make the mistake. Sometimes the flesh, I display the flesh, God forbid. Sometimes you do. Probably more often you do than me because I'm a good guy. But nonetheless, or like I did just right there. Uh, and, and that can be uh, irritating, right? But what's really beautiful is that even that kind of stuff that so frustrates us. And, you know, like this church hurt me or that church thing hurt me. Yeah, that church hurt Paul too. But he didn't quit the gospel. He didn't quit the kingdom. He didn't stop rejoicing. Isn't that beautiful? I, I love that. Third thing then is that keep rejoicing because the gospel advanced, even though religious rivalries and human weaknesses threaten it. Those are the three reasons in this text to keep rejoicing. I heard... Warren Wiersbe say once, he said, isn't it amazing how God often uses people that we don't approve of? And I think it's important to remember. Now, let me get personal. Can I get personal with you? Can I be personal? This is heavy in my heart, and I think I've had a lot of time to think. To dr- I've been away, driving, thinking, praying for you, and going through some uh, personal evaluation. Uh, our family's going through a dark trial at this moment right now. And um, I, I was thinking about you, and I thought, I wonder how many of them have things that are happening to them right now. What burdens are on your heart right now? What would you most want somebody to pray for right now? What causes you worry or fear? What keeps you awake at night? What What are you going through that you never thought you would have to go through? What has happened to you? What happened to you? What troubles you? What breaks your heart? And and will you rejoice? And will you trust that God is powerful enough in his sovereign work to bring good in that bad thing? I want to show you something. Sometimes when you go through things happen to you. You look around and you pray and it just seems like God isn't listening. Sometimes when something happens to you, it's like you pray and you listen and you hear nothing. Sometimes when something is happening to you, like with Paul, hey God, get me out of here so I can be a missionary. And God did not get him out of there. He says, Peter got out. Remember when he was in prison and you did the earthquake and the shackles? Kind of, do it again, Lord, do it again. Did God do that for Paul? He did not. He did not. It's almost like it would be easy to believe if your faith was weak 
that, that God isn't there because he's quiet. Do you remember the Samuel story? And this is a sermon within a sermon, no extra charge today. Keep your wallet in your pocket. This is free. This one's on me. So Paul, the, the Samuel story. He, do you remember the story, the beautiful Samuel story, the Eli and then Sam, and the Bible says that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Are you hearing me? The word of the Lord was rare. Sometimes the word of the Lord is rare. Sometimes you listen and you're not hearing anything. You look and you're not seeing anything. It seems like God is not acting. And it seems like God is silent. Everyone has this experience. And he said there was no frequent vision in those days. But you remember that God sent Samuel. And he was going to give a vision. It wasn't going to be a fun vision. He was going to make a very clear vision, but he's going to give it to little Samuel. Remember that story? And it's like Samuel hears a voice. He thinks Eli's talking to him. After a couple of times like that, Eli realizes God is speaking. Go back and say, speak, your servant hears. Samuel says, speak, Lord, your servant hears. God gave him a, a frightening prophecy. And then they say about Samuel that he was a prophet in Israel and not a word fell to the ground. God spoke then. So there are times... When you're going through things, things are happening, and you will not hear from God. You will not see God. It will, it will seem like God is silent. You'll have his word. You'll have the memory of God's work. Psalm 10 and verse 1. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away, and do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13, 1 through 3. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul, have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me, answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Isaiah 45 and verse 15. Truly you are a God who hides himself. And then 1 Timothy verse, chapter 6 and verse 16 talks about God in these beautiful terms, but says he alone has immortality and he dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see and you remember that when job went through his dark trials that god allowed into his life and then eventually delivered him and rewarded him and has been rewarding him for thousands of years now you remember that god didn't immediately speak to job and tell him what he was doing and god didn't make it plain to job what he's doing job was just suffering in the dark and his friends came along and they made suggestions that weren't true to add weight to his sorrow, but he would not curse God. At one point, Job says something powerful. He says, I've been looking around for you and I can't find you. Behold, this is in Job 23.8. I go forward, but he's not there. I go backward, but I can't find him. I go to the left hand when he's working. I can't behold him. I turn to the right hand, but I can't see him. But then he says, but he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. Job is saying, everywhere I look, I can't find God, but I know that God can always find me, and I'm going to trust him as he puts me through this trial. And so I want to encourage you, and I've been thinking about you, and last night as I drove the beautiful way home from Ohio, and I made it through the countryside out by our home, and a beautiful canopy of trees, I had a sense that I just needed prayer. And I wanted people to pray for my family. I wanted people to pray for my wife. I wanted people to pray for my daughter. And then I thought about you, and I thought, I wonder how many of you have a broken heart, an aching heart, and you think, I just, I have a wayward child, or I have a, a fear, or I have an ongoing problem, and I have a, a burden or a pressure in my life. And I thought, they, they must, many of them must have the same kind of sense of burden. 
And so I want to ask a couple of elders that I've asked to come. And if you're an elder and it's convenient for you to come forward and your wife, if it's convenient, you can do that. I'd like to ask you to come, elders and wives, those that, you, that feel like you can come. Because what I'm going to do is today, I'd like to end our service by having somebody here to pray for you. I would like you to pray for me. I want to pray for you. We need to pray for each other. So stand up with you, with me, if you will. And elders and wives that can, though I haven't arranged it, if you can come up here, two or three, four of you, that would be wonderful. And then what I'm going to say is if you just need somebody, you just want to say, pray for my daughter. Our daughter Holly's in deep, going through a deep trial right now. Pray, I would say, if you ask me what can I pray for, I'd say, please pray for Holly. And then what is that breaking your heart or hard for you or, or, or difficult that you face every day? Forgive us for not praying for you as we should. What is it? So you come to these people. They love you. They love the Lord. They love this church. And if you can share from your heart what you're going through, they can take that name up to the Lord. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray. And then what I hope to see, if, if you feel led to do it, is just come forward here, find somebody and just tell them what you like. And then you could ask them, how can I pray for you? And, and perhaps the Lord would have us be especially prayerful for each other. So would you please let us know how to pray for you? And tell us those names that are precious to you. And tell us those fears that you have. And those ones that you want to come back to the Lord or to be healed or to be delivered from depression or trouble or whatever it is. And if you will do that, we will be faithful to take those to the Lord and pray. So I'm going to pray now. And then the, there'll be a bit of music that comes on. And, but, but please, don't, you don't have to go away. You can come and these will pray for you. So let me ask the Lord's help. Lord, we're, we're so grateful to have a family of believers to hold our feet to the fire when we need it, to encourage us, that we can encourage them, but that when we're going through, things are happening to us, that we, they will help us orient ourselves in the great work of God for our good and his glory. And I pray, Lord, for those that are in need today, those that are lost and far from God, those that are, that are afraid, those that are anxious, those that are depressed, those that are hurt, those that are sick. I pray, Lord, for those that are stubborn and whatever need people have. And I pray that you make us a, a prayerful church now. Hear our prayers, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.